Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Killer Astrology, the podcast. I'm your host, Laura, and today I'm giving you a rather unconventional episode because, well, this is not your average story. It starts on a warm end of summer morning that began just like any other September day on the East Coast. Our protagonist, Tanya Head, was in her office at 285 Fulton Street and had just begun her busy work day. At 8.30 a.m., she received a call from her fiancé, Dave, asking if she'd like to get a cup of coffee. Because she was running soon to an important morning meeting, Tanya said no and ended the last conversation she would ever have with the love of her life. You see, this was no ordinary day. It was September 11, 2001, the day that Tanya's life and the lives of so many others changed forever. Just 16 minutes after hanging up the phone with her soon-to-be husband, Tanya watched American Airlines Flight 11 hit the North Tower of the World Trade Center. Dave was in that tower. In a personal account of the event, she shared that she had looked at the wreckage out her window, counted the stories up to the crash site, and seen that Dave's office was right at the impact site. Tanya and Dave had recently been married in Hawaii on a trip that he took her on unexpectedly. In a beautiful private ceremony on the beach, the two were, quote, Mauied. This was more of a commitment ceremony, as the couple was to be legally married on October 12th, just a month and a day after the brutal terrorist attacks. It was the thought of her upcoming marriage that kept Tanya alive when just after 9 o'clock a.m., United Airlines Flight 175 hit just below her floor in the South Tower. In a number of documentaries, Tanya shares the horrific details of the chaos, fear, and intense physical trauma she endured on 9-11. When the plane hit the South Tower, she was immediately thrown across the room by the force of the explosion. Her back and her arm were severely burned, bad enough that she smelled the chemical reaction of the fire on her flesh. She couldn't breathe, and she started to drift out of consciousness when someone came by and urged her to stay awake, to stay awake and wait for help. And so she thought of her wedding dress, and that kept her alive long enough for a hero to carry her 79 floors to safety. That hero was Wells Crowther, who you may know as the man in the red bandana. Tanya was eternally grateful for what he did for her, and months later she spoke at his memorial service along with other survivors of the 9-11 attacks. Before that, though, she had to recover. Tanya had been hospitalized for two months following 9-11 to heal from the physical wounds she suffered as a result of the attacks. In the wake of all the suffering and healing she was doing, she still managed to complete a favor she promised to a dying man who shared space with her in the towers she returned his wedding ring to his wife. It's really almost impossible to imagine how somebody could possibly heal from so much tragedy. What's clear when we learn about Tanya's story and the stories of so many others involved in the attacks is that forming community was critical for finding relief. Tanya quickly became an active community member and a supporter for others who had been involved in the 9-11 tragedies. She found her survivor community online, where victims of the attacks would post about their experiences of moving on. While she had significant trauma of her own, Tanya was an active supporter of her peers, always offering an ear or a shoulder to lean on. Eventually, she became part of the 9-11 Survivors Network, where she worked to provide opportunities of support to other survivors. She spoke at memorial services, developed survivor events, and even gave tours of Ground Zero in both English and Spanish. While Tanya was a pillar of support for her survivor community, she also suffered the emotional effects of her own experience. She lived with survivor's guilt every single day, wondering why she had survived and so many others had not. 
She went to Ground Zero every year on the anniversary of the attacks, stating, quote, It's the hardest thing in my life to do to go down that ramp every anniversary, but I do it for Dave. In hearing Tanya's story, you can't help but feel some of the anguish and fear and immense sadness that she underwent in the wake of the worst terrorist attack in American history. So I'm going to give you a pause. Take a breath and brace yourself because this story is about to get a whole lot worse. Every single thing I've just told you is a lie. Tanya Head was never in the Twin Towers on 9-11. She wasn't even in the United States. She was in her home country of Spain, where she was in the middle of a semester of business school. If you've never heard Tanya's story before, you're probably feeling a little bit betrayed, and I don't blame you. But I'd like you to imagine for just a few seconds what it would feel like if you weren't hearing this story, but living it. Imagine that you had gone through one of the most traumatic events in human history, one that only a very small percentage of the human population could relate to. Imagine that you had confided in someone who not only claimed to know what you were going through, but who you, in your time of most need, had offered sympathy to, who you had helped so genuinely while you were trying to heal yourself. All of that energy given and wasted on a liar. Tanya Head isn't even her real name. Her name is Alicia Esteve Head, and she is a predator. Predators aren't just murderers or pedophiles or rapists. They are people who prey on other people's emotions and manipulate them for personal gain. I decided to tell this story because it hits home for me, not just because of my ties to New York City, but because for years I was on the receiving end of a similar type of manipulation. People like Tanya are just so good at lying that you truly don't know they're doing it. And when you do eventually find out, it feels like being in the middle of a collision. And I can't imagine if the person who had lied to me had been lying about something as profound as what happened on 9-11. So, since I began studying astrology, I've been eagerly picking apart the birth charts of notable liars to identify just what it is that fuels them. It's really one of the main reasons that I decided to create a podcast about killers and criminals in the first place. So let's move on to talking about Alicia's astrology chart, and I'll share with you just what I think it is that fueled her behaviors. Alicia Esteve Head was born on July 31st, 1973 in Barcelona, Spain. She has a Leo son, and depending on her birth time, either a Leo moon or a Virgo moon. I have come up with a couple of potential birth times for her, but I'm going to hold off on sharing those with you until the end, because right now I only want to focus on what we do know. We know that Alicia has a Leo son, and while this is just one planet in the configuration of her chart, this placement is actually really important for understanding her character. The sun represents the ego, the identity that someone is striving to create as they go about their life. Leo is the sign of the performer and tends to seek out an audience. This need for attention is precisely the drive that drove Alicia to craft the lie of the century. In Alicia's birth chart, Jupiter is in Aquarius, exactly opposite her sun. Jupiter, the planet of expansion, is actively tugging on Alicia's ego, pulling her to expand her personality and her exposure. Now, Jupiter is commonly thought of as the good luck planet because it instigates growth wherever it goes. 
but it's important to remember that that growth isn't always focused on positive areas or in the areas that we all generally most like to grow, like finances and love. Jupiter brings whatever it touches to an extreme, and that's what made Alicia's behaviors go to the extreme in order to get attention. When you read more into Alicia's story, you realize that she really didn't get any material gain from telling this lie. What she did get was attention. She gained a group of people who she could connect with and who could look up to her. She gained a position of power within the groups that she led. And she had her story out there for the whole world to see and marvel at. All of these things connect to another point that I wanted to make about the Jupiter-Sun configuration for her. The placement of Jupiter in Aquarius is very significant here because Aquarius is tied to networks, someone's position in the web of the people around them. The Jupiter in Alicia's chart is retrograde, which I think changed the way she related to her network. Retrogrades cause us to focus our energies more internally than externally, and I think this is what made Alicia so much more interested in the personal benefits of gaining her audience than whether she was impacting that audience either positively or negatively. Now I'm going to move from the Jupiter-Sun relationship to another planetary relationship that struck me in this chart. This relationship is between Mars and the asteroid Chiron, which are both very close together, forming about a three and a half degree conjunction in Mars's home sign of Aries. Aries energy is initiation energy. It's tied to the formation of the personality. Chiron gives us information about where we've been wounded in our current life or even in past lives. Alicia's configuration in Aries says to me that she has a lot of trouble feeling comfortable in her own skin. And the conjunction between Mars and Chiron means that she is figuring this out by putting herself out there, by creating situations that help her figure out who she is by going through them in the physical reality. So why did she choose to do this by impacting other people so significantly? We can see a clue by looking at an aspect between Mars and Uranus. Mars and Uranus are opposite each other, with Uranus in Libra, and this shows that Alicia finds the spontaneous or chaotic events in the lives of other people to be some of the best opportunities to explore her own personality. There's one additional thing that I'd like to point out about Alicia's chart that connects her to a couple of the other criminals that I've researched and will be discussing in future episodes. There's a point in the birth chart called the Black Moon Lilith. It's not a planetary body, but a mathematical point that represents the furthest point of the moon's orbit from Earth. It's called the black moon because it represents what many would call our dark side, our carnal desires and taboos. Alicia, like many of the other people I've researched, has her black moon in the late degrees of Sagittarius, the sign that's connected to Jupiter through its desire to learn, grow, and expand. What I've noticed in my research so far is that having the black moon on the Sagittarius-Gemini axis may cause rebellion against the moral codes that we as a society generally agree to uphold, honesty being one of them. I promise you that I'm going to talk more about black moon Lilith in the future, but for now I'd like to switch gears and end by giving you a couple of those birth times that I came up with that may be good fits for Alicia. One of the most compelling options is around 315 to 340 on July 31st, 1973. If we look at the earlier part of the hour, her ascendant is in Scorpio. If we look at the later part of the hour, her ascendant is in Sagittarius, with Neptune on the ascendant line, Lilith in the first house, and Saturn in Gemini in the seventh. This configuration, whether we go with the earlier time or the later time, 
puts her south node, Mercury, and Sun all in the eighth house of secrets. It also puts her Chiron Mars configuration in the fifth house, the house of self-expression. One of the things I like most about this as an option for her is that it puts her north node in the second house. What this means is that she needs to take time throughout her life to develop her sense of values and develop her self-esteem. Another option I've considered for Alicia gives her a birth time of around 6.30 a.m. on July 31st. It puts her sun in the 12th house in Leo, her ascendant in Leo, and her moon in the first house in Leo. This is a lot of Leo energy, a lot of attention-seeking energy, and the maintenance of that opposition between Jupiter and the sun keeps her striving to gain more of an audience. This configuration also puts her Saturn and South Node in the 11th house, the house of networks. Saturn shows where we need to focus and grow. With Saturn in the 11th house, it would be clear that Alicia needed to focus on building more positive connections with her community. There is an element of this chart configuration that makes that really hard, and that's the south node in the 11th and the north node in the 5th. The interaction between the north node and the south node in a birth chart is like a constant push and pull between doing what's comfortable and growing your skills in a new direction. Anyone with the North Node in the 5th house is on a mission in their lifetime to better express themselves, to express their truths. In the configuration we're considering now, Alicia's lying could be the result of a real hesitancy to fulfill her North Node's mission and express herself genuinely. So, she completes half the battle. She expresses a story and gains attention in her community, but misses the mark by leaving out the truth. While this obviously proves to be harmful to the people around her, it also stunts her growth. All things considered, I really don't know which of these charts is the accurate one for Alicia. I also explored some other options, but these were the two that felt most accurate to me. If you happen to do your own research and you find a chart that you think works better, I'm happy to hear your ideas. You can contact me using the information available in the episode description. Thank you so much for taking this crazy ride with me today and joining me for another episode of Killer Astrology. I'm super excited to have you back next week for a truly chilling story. Until then, remember, people may lie, but the stars never do. If you liked what you heard today, please share this podcast with your friends and consider leaving a five-star rating. You can also follow the podcast on social media using the information in the podcast description. 